today on It's Time. But I know this, that God restores and shows us where we failed and how not to fail again. I hear the calling, it's time. It's time. It's time. Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today, we're going verse by verse through the book of 1 Timothy. So, turn there in your Bibles as we join Pastor Mike. If you have your Bible this morning, I'd like to invite you to open them to the book of Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1. We didn't quite get through this book last week because there's some things at the end of the book that are fairly important. But one of the things we do is we look at uh, Paul the aged writing to a young minister, things he needs to be aware of, encouraging him to stay in Ephesus where there's a lot of heresies going on. He knew that as long as Timothy was there, there would be a stabilizing force, a, force, a, a voice of truth to counteract the heresies that were being taught. Now, one of the things we find is that they were teaching endless genealogies and fables. Now, it's interesting to me today, we find groups today that still teach endless genealogies and fables. This is why when we teach We teach only the Bible. This is why that's important, that we have a foundation, a basis for what we believe. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word today, may your Holy Spirit speak to us. May we have that wisdom that comes from you. And God, cause us to remember these things when we ourselves are challenged. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, chapter 1 of uh, 1 Timothy, so important. Paul, again, the agent, writing to a young minister encouraging them to stay where he's at because he's going to be that voice of truth where they had given themselves over to fables, endless genealogies. Why are endless genealogies prohibited? Well, simply this. Your past doesn't matter. David said it best in the Old Testament, that second king of Israel. He said, your promises are new every morning. You see, One of the great things about being a Christian is God gives us a new start every day. I wish more ministers would understand that. Because again, because we will fail in our lives. Many people don't want to become a Christian because they say, well, I might fail in my faith. What happens then? Well, the good news is John tells us in the epistles of John chapter 1, he says, my little children... If you sin, you have an advocate with the Father, which is Christ Jesus. So important to realize. Basically, God's saying, I know when you come into my kingdom that there are going to be times you will have lapses of faith. In other words, you're not going to always hit the ball. But God doesn't throw us out because of that. Again, this is why we need his new promises every morning. Well, the other part of this we find in verse 4 is fables. Why would people teach fables? Well, because a lot of times it's attractive. It, it, It takes the emphasis off of God's word. It takes away conviction 
Because true conviction comes from, I believe, the Spirit of God working through his word. This is one of the reasons why we know we need a Savior. Because when we look at the Ten Commandments, which were never meant to justify somebody, but meant to show us we need a Savior. How many lies do you have to tell to be a liar? Just one. How many murders do you have to commit to be a murderer? Just one. So it isn't really being graded on a curve. It's just, have you committed the sins? If you have, that makes us guilty. But the good news is, we can be forgiven. And that is what Jesus Christ came to do. The emphasis is never upon genealogies or fables. It's upon Jesus Christ. That, the author and the finisher of our faith. So he writes this and he gives a little bit of his testimony. And I'm sure that uh, Paul at times felt very bad about his past. As many of you may or may not know, Paul started off with the name of Saul. And he was a persecutor of the church. He didn't believe in this Jesus believing in him would forgive your sins. It was getting back under the law and proving your worthiness and showing how good you are, which as we find as we study scripture, none of us are. In fact, when the early church um, began to see Gentiles getting saved, they didn't know what to do. Oh, we thought that really that uh, salvation was just of the Jews, but then pretty soon these Gentiles started getting saved. Well, when the Gentiles started getting saved, they said, well, what rules, regulations, laws are we going to put them under? And they said, well, since none of us nor our forefathers could keep any of the laws, well, we're not going to put them under the law. We're under grace. Now, grace is interesting because grace came about when God singled out Abraham and said of you, I'm going to make a great nation. We find nothing in the Bible that Abraham did to attract the grace of God. Nothing that he did caused that. In other words, it wasn't that he was such a good little boy and he always did everything right. You know, he got straight A's in Chaldea school, I don't know whatever school he went to, but it doesn't say he did anything good to merit the attention of God. God singled him out and said, of you, I'm going to make a great nation. God would look at you today and say, of you, I'm going to make a great nation. Why is that? Because as you lead people to Christ through your life, through your words, through your testimony, there's going to be people in heaven directly because of you. People that will live forever. Now, there's going to be those, of course, that will reject that. It was, those people were around in Paul's day. They were around all the way through the New Testament. In fact, as I always share this with people, you find in the Bible, these great men of God, the, there's a book out called Fox's Book of Martyrs that tells us how they died, how Paul died, how some of the other early church fathers died. But you never read about how the Pharisees died in Fox's Book of Martyrs. Why is that? They're still here today. They never died. Well, also, those that come in teaching corrupt things, we don't read about how they died either. Why? Because they're still around as well. And this brings us up to where we find in verse 18, in some new ground here, Paul writing again to Timothy saying, I charge and commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, 
that by them you may wage the good warfare. Why is that? We're in a battle. Friends, we are on a battleship. We're not on a cruise ship. I sometimes like the idea of just cruising around on a cruise ship. That sounds really good. By the way, though, I've never been on a cruise. Maybe some of you have. I think it would get kind of boring because I like to be able to get out and see things and do things. And pretty much you're on the boat the entire time. But when we realize that when we're really on a battleship, and I remember this past week as I watched the newsreels of Pearl Harbor, December 7th, 1941, the surprise attack from Japan, when really, honestly, a lot of the American GIs didn't even know what was going on, yet there was an increased warning about a possible attack. The battleship we are on, we are waging good warfare. I pray that you have put into your life and put into your heart God's word. That's what's going to make a difference. Not endless genealogies, not fables. That's not going to cause the devil to run. But what causes the devil to run is the word of God. This is why Jesus said, we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So he says, I charge and commit this to you. You need to be about your father's business. We all do. We all do. I'm embarrassed sometimes in my life where I haven't always been about my father's business. But I know this, that God restores and rebuilds and shows us where we failed and how not to fail again. So he goes on and he tells us the results of not waging good warfare because he says there's people that will come and try to distort the gospel. Notice he says, having faith, a good conscience, which some have rejected concerning the faith, having suffered shipwreck. Now, this is important because he says, notice this, look, he says, having faith and a good conscience. Why is that important in your Christian experience today? Faith and a good conscience. When you enter into the battle, you want to enter into the battle knowing God is on your side. That's what's so important. If you don't recognize God is on your side, you can begin to doubt what you're saying. Is it true? That's why we're committed by God to know his word. That way you can stand up to the false teachers. And they're all around us all the time. There's always those that are going to be bringing you fables. Now, fables are things that are simply just made up. I'm amazed what people will believe once they've rejected the truth. Some people believe, and that used to be this way years ago, not so much now, but in the 60s. If you glued a plastic Jesus to the dashboard of your car, or a St. Christopher, the patron saint of protection, that your car would not be damaged. My uncle, who was not a believer, who rebuilt motorcycles, he said, you know, it's a funny thing. I see these things welded to the front forks of motorcycles and they bend them up just the same. Why is that? Because our faith is not in a thing or in a plastic Jesus, but it's in the God who created the universe. You see, I believe that when you are a Christian, you are indestructible. I know that sounds weird, but it's true. I believe that nothing can happen to you until God says it's time to come home. 
Yeah, we go through the battles, we go through the sicknesses, we go through all these different things we go through, but I believe basically our days are numbered, and I believe God has his purpose for us in our life, and when our purpose on this life is done, it's time to go. I think it's a good thing. I don't want to hang around being somewhere where I'm not supposed to be. Have you ever had that happen to you? Where you're somewhere where you're not supposed to be. Someone comes up to you and says, what are you doing here? And you're going, I don't know. Why? Because I'm not where I'm supposed to be. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When our time is done here, we got to go. I think it's interesting in the book of Revelation, the two prophets who come and warn the world about the Antichrist, the mark of the beast, and all these different things. It says they are tried many times to be killed by the world, but nothing happens to them because God has divinely protected them. I believe God has divinely protected you as well. And the Bible says when their testimony is completed, they are allowed to be killed. And the Bible says they lay in the streets of Jerusalem for three days. And at the end of the third day, the Bible says there's a voice from heaven that shouts, come up here and these two prophets that the world, the Bible said, has seen laying dead in the streets of Jerusalem, stand on their feet and they're gone. I like that. When your testimony is done, it's time to go. That's okay. Now, sometimes some people's testimony is over earlier than others. That doesn't mean you failed in what God has for you. It simply means that God has appointed for every one of us a birth date and a day we leave this earth and to do the best we can in that period of time for our king. Well, understanding that, you'll be confronted as a Christian for what you believe. If you don't know what you believe, if you don't have a good conscience, then the thing is you might waffle a bit on what you know to be the case. Well, you know, I know. You know, it's, I, I, I really don't know. And I look at my own life and I realize I'm kind of a flake. And so therefore, well, you know. Well, yeah, that's true. We are. Uh, the old saying, we're all bozos on this bus. Well, you say, who's bozo? You know, the guy with the red hair, clown, you know, guy with big feet, you know. Well, that's sometimes the way we feel in this world. But the point is, is that of a good conscience, a sound faith, you'll be able to stand against the fables, the things that aren't true, which, as we read in verse 4, if we go back there, causes what? Disputes. They're not sound. They're not, fit. They're not biblically founded upon anything. And so because of that, there's a wavering and It says here, some in the faith have suffered shipwreck. That's a bad thing. That should never happen to any of you. Why? Because you know God's word. You've equipped yourself in God's word to know what we're here for. Again, we're here about our father's business. And they came to Jesus. Teach us to pray. Jesus said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we're here for. That's why when we come down, does anybody want to receive Jesus this morning? I do, I do. Come down here. They're gone. That'd be kind of nice, wouldn't it? No trials, no temptations, no problems. Just accept Jesus and boom, you're in heaven. I like that. But God's left us here for a reason. What is that reason? To be a testimony for him. To be about our father's business. What hands does God have on this earth other than yours? 
What feet does God have on this earth other than yours? We go where we're directed by the Spirit. We do what God's called us to do. Now, unfortunately, there are some who have, A, first, either known the gospel and rebelled against it and become a real problem in the church, or there are those who have never known the gospel, but because of a preconceived idea are enemies of the church, which we find here in verse 20. Of whom Himaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Now, in some places we find Paul saying, he turned somebody over Satan, that their body would be destroyed, but their soul would be saved. But we don't find that listed here. And I think it's noteworthy that it's not here, in that we don't find their soul being saved, but that they would learn not to blaspheme. Why is that? Because, you know, when you get into the spiritual world, there's a lot of stuff that goes on. You know, I believe that, again, some of the most vile people against God realize there's more that's going on in the world that meets the eye. Plato said hundreds of years before Christ, we live in the shadow of reality. The real world is in the unseen realm. Well, why is that? Because we all realize there's more on this earth than meets the eye. Now, unfortunately, many people try to get into that by getting into the occult and, and uh, witchcraft and all these different things to have these powers part of their life. Remember, the demonic forces and powers are powerless against you as a believer. Why is that? Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Always remember that any of these things that would try to scare you Again, going back to the previous verse, having a faith and a good conscience do not affect us. Why? Because it allows us to stand when everything else is falling. Now, we find these two guys, Aeneas and Alexander. I've actually read the, some commentaries that say, well, there's nothing more said about these people. Well, I don't believe that. Because as we go up to 2 Timothy we find both of these individuals being mentioned, if in fact they are the same ones. We find Himaeus was going around teaching that the resurrection had already happened, the rapture was over, and all these different things. He was a false teacher. He was bringing in false doctrine. On the other hand, Alexander was a coppersmith, and he made idols. And so, really, by Paul's preaching... He was ruining the idolatry business of the day, carving these little things, and oh, this is how he, you know, and, uh, well, again, this is why the Bible tells us in the Ten Commandments not to make graven images. Why? Because God doesn't want us to think about who he is in the image of man. In other words, okay, God is God. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get a little chunk of brass or copper or wood, and I'm going to carve what I think God is. Okay, there's God. Have you ever noticed that? You ever uh, look, look at some of these discovery channels or when you look at uh, even, even some of the home, uh, home improvement channels, and they got a little Buddha in the backyard. You know, he's just sitting there. You ever looked up close at his head, by the way? A lot of people don't know this. Those are snails on his head. I, when I first saw it, I thought they were curls. I thought, oh, coily, certainly. No, it, they're not curls. They're snails. 
because he fell asleep in the sun. And so he was so divine that the snails all crawled up on his head to keep his head from being sunburned. I'm serious. Check it out. Now, you got to be pretty slow if snails crawl on you to keep your head from getting sunburned. But that's an image of what they believe God is like. You look at different religions around the world. They have their totem poles. They have their, their, idol, their, their statues. This is their view of what God looks like. And so they're carved and, you know, I, some of them are actually pretty funny. You know, there's one that the tongue's hanging out. You know, you know what is that? Well, that, that's their idea of what God is. This is why God prohibited in the Ten Commandments them to make a graven image of what God would look like. Because no matter what you would see is based upon man's conception of what God is. In other words, I have envisioned God to look like this. God says, you know, David uh, wanted to build a, a, a temple for God. He goes, I live in this beautiful house. God, you live over there in a temple covered with animal skins, which, by the way, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And so here's this, this tabernacle covered with animal skins, in order to get the animal skin, you had to shed the blood. And God says, I never complained about my tent. God says, I like my tent. But I want to build you a house, God. And it's really interesting what God said. What house, David, will you build for me? Heaven is my throne. Earth is, earth is my footstool. It's what I rest my feet on. What house are you going to build for me? I, I think it's interesting that people like to identify with what they see. Whether it's, so to speak, a temple, an image, a statue, an idol of a god, because we're sight-oriented. But God says, I don't want you to view me in that way. Here's why. First of all, the minute that we make a statue, what do we do? We put a locale to God. In other words, oh, there's a statue of God, whatever their God idea may be. And there he is, right there. Okay, God, see you next week. You stay right there. This is one of the problems, and you'll find this even in the Christian church sometimes. When I was raised in church, I remember a minister saying, Oh, God, as we come into your presence this day, I was going, man, where have you been all week to been out of God's presence? God is everywhere. If we ascend to heaven, he's there. David says, if I go into hell or Sheol, you're there. Where do I go to get out of your presence? Which is a good thing if you belong to him. That means God never leaves you or forsakes you. He's always there. I like that. He's not stuck in the ground with a funny face, with some person's idea of what God looks like. He's everywhere. The second thing is the way we relate with God. Do we relate with God through the law, the Ten Commandments? God, you know, I didn't kill anybody this week. I didn't lie. I didn't lust. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. I'm doing pretty good. That's a legal relationship. Look what I did, now look what you'll do. Look what I did, look what you do. You know, it's, it's like you're playing some kind of checkers. 
But a love relationship is different. As we read, as we studied in the book of Galatians, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, we cry, Daddy, we crawl up in his lap. Do you want a legal relationship with your God, or do you want a love relationship with your God? Do you want it where it's written on tablets of paper, the Ten Commandments, and all the law and the prophets in the Old Testament, or where God, because you're his child, writes his love letter on your heart? It's a big difference. Thanks for joining us on It's Time, as Pastor Mike teaches verse-by-verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com. On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening. And tune in next time for It's Time. It's Time.